Hello, and welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. Good morning, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Um, it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We thank you, Jesus, for Christmas, not just because of all that it represents culturally, but because of what it represents for us eternally. So God, use this time to stir us up in love and good works. Remind us of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we've said, um, for the past couple of weeks, we are doing here in the month of December an Advent series. And if that word Advent is a little foreign to you, it could be because you've come from a church tradition that usually relegates Christmas to the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, and the day of Christmas, the day of Christ's birth. But there's been this great tradition throughout the centuries of the church to take more time in the Christmas season, specifically the first four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, in order to, to slowly walk into and through this season that we might best position ourselves to be changed by what happened at Christmas. How many of us know that Christmas can come and go really fast? And the lights go up and they come down. The playlists go up and they come down. The tree goes up and hopefully it makes it to Christmas and then it comes down. And it can kind of be that sort of season culturally. It's, it's, we talked last week about like that thing they used to have in malls where you could pull down the screen and and whatever background you want, and you can get your family taken at Old Western if you want, you know. And Christmas can kind of be like that, especially for us as the church. Just sort of this blind, this screen that we pull down and that we let go of after December 25th. But uh, Advent causes us to slow down. To position our hearts, listen, under the full weight of God entering human history. That's worth all of our attention. That's worth every Sunday year-round, amen? But certainly this time of Christmas, and as we do it, we're reminded of the fact that Israel, for thousands of years, waited for this hope. And we, too, are waiting for our Messiah to come again, for Jesus to return. So that's what the season is all about. And typically, it's focused on four theological virtues. You'll see the church uh, throughout the centuries focus on these four ideas. And it's the idea of and the focus of hope, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And here in Romans 5, we see all four of those virtues. We have peace with God, verse 1. We have um, hope and joy there also in verse 2. And then in verse 5, we see the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts. So we've entitled this series, Behold, and that's really what we're trying to do, is draw our full attention to fix our gaze upon what Jesus has done. That's what it means to behold, not merely to 
take a look at or glance at, but to fix our gaze and attention on Jesus, and specifically to fix our attention on the hope, peace, joy, and love that has come through him. And that's really what this passage here in Romans 5 is all about. What Paul is doing is he's inviting us into this amazing room that all who are in Christ get to walk into. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus to be their savior, they said, I'm not going to be my own savior. I could never work my way to God. I could never pay off my own debt to God. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Amen. And so Paul is saying, yes, for those who have been justified by Christ through faith, come on in and check it out. It's almost like the Christmas presents under the tree. All right, Santa ain't got nothing on Jesus, all right? Look at what Jesus has brought with him at his coming. He's brought hope. He's brought peace. He's brought joy. He's brought love. And this morning, we want to focus on how he's brought us peace. So today is behold peace, beholding peace. Now, the idea or the virtue of peace I think it goes without saying that culturally speaking, even universally, peace is a prized asset. You could also say it's a culturally a popular value. It comes in many different forms, but it, you'd be hard to find someone who doesn't desire peace in one form of another. It could be just as a starting point, we could think of things like world peace and peace signs. I didn't know this was, there was this many peace signs. I knew there was three, Okay. You've got the classic Winston Churchill, right? You've got the classic peace sign. Uh, you have the, the symbol of peace, the dove of peace. You've got some, some homies shaking hands, making peace. World peace, cultural peace. You, you also have a, another popular commodity, what we might call peace of mind. It's very zen, okay? It's very usa wusa, all right? A very popular item as well. Um, and there's a sense in which, though, we could make fun of the person meditating on the dangerous cliff. Why did you get off the cliff? Why did you do that? But anyway, we can make fun of it. At the end of the day, we all, to some degree, we feel something when we encounter peace. I mean, this is one of, of many images that I thought could just convey this, okay? So just, just take a deep breath. You know, just, just feel the peace, okay? Feel the peace. I, I, we, every year, my son and I, we head up to uh, the northeast coast uh, to the great land of Maine, where my uncle has an awesome lake house there, and it's one of these scenes. And it's, you know those mornings? Now, for a parent, there's nothing like that. Wow. Now, as a parent, you work for a lot. You, you know, you work for your legacy, you, you, day after day, you exhaust yourself for, to see your children be raised in, in, as, a, as, a, as a healthy contribut, you know, contributor of society and a spiritual being. But really, if you really ask a parent what they're working for, it's this one-hour period between about eight to nine before they've woken up after they've gone to sleep where it's just peace and quiet. Sorry. I, mean, I could share my testimony right now, but I'm not going to. Um, there's just something about that, okay, that, that moment of just gathering our thoughts about calming down. So today in our culture, because peace is such a prized asset, listen, you have politicians who promise peace. You have doctors who prescribe peace. You have methods that promote peace. You have even products that provide peace. Now, all of these examples, they show one central thing, one evidence of the human heart universally, and it's this. We are all desperately longing and looking for peace. Every person you meet on the street, 
despite their background, despite what they have or don't have, religious upbringing or not, cultural background or not, the human heart is longing for peace. And Christmas is the announcement that peace has come. Peace has arrived, or you could say peace is here. And as it's come, it's important to notice that Christmas says this, peace hasn't come in the form of a policy, a political direction. Peace hasn't come in the form of a plan, 10 steps to get your peace. Peace hasn't come in the form of some practice or a principle or even a prescription. Christmas says peace has come through a person. That person is Jesus Christ. In fact, it's Ephesians chapter 2 where the Bible says so emphatically that he himself, I love this, is our peace. Jesus himself, think about this. Last week we looked at 1 Timothy 1 which says that Jesus is our hope. Just he himself, not just that he brings hope, but Jesus himself, he is, he embodies, he makes up all of the peace that we are looking for. Four, our peace. We see it there in Romans 5 in verse 1. And it's in the Greek tense here in the original language of Romans. But all throughout the scriptures you have the word peace used. In in Hebrew it's shalom. You know that word. In Greek it's arene. And it's a complex word. Let's say this. That when the Bible speaks of the peace that Jesus gives that we're all looking for, it's very complex. It's not limited to one experience. It's not just limited to, to relational. It's it's all-encompassing. You could say it this way, that the peace that, that, the peace that Jesus means to give us is a holistic peace. A peace for every, every nook and cranny that you're missing it in. Relationally, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Uh, the best display, you know, sometimes if a word's not best defined, it's, it's probably best seen. Let me, let me define it first. You can write it down this way. This is the, the word peace we see in Scripture. Uh, In Scripture, the word peace, it's an internal, complex, but an internal or external state of wholeness, harmony, and tranquility. An internal and or external state of wholeness, harmony, and tranquility. Even in the Old Testament, you'll see the word peace being used in this great word picture of of a wall of bricks without one brick missing. So if you had a wall of bricks and you took one brick out and there was this hole in it, it was lacking shalom. But if you were to put a a brick in there, in fact, Solomon, uh, the Bible tells us that when he put one of the stones into the temple, that he gave shalom to the temple. He brought its wholeness. Or it could also be used of of a brick itself that has some cracks in it. It's lacking shalom. It's lacking peace. That's the picture. That's the idea. So it's that wholeness. It's that completeness. It's harmony. It's tranquility. And it's best displayed in the very beginning. When God creates a world and he's able to call this world good... Because of its shalom, because of the peace that we see of God creating man for a good purpose, man being filled with great purpose and value in the mission of God to do all things together for the benefit of the other and the glory of God. Beautiful trust. I mean, that's, that's key for peace, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the relationships in your life, the ones that are lacking the most peace, they're probably lacking the most trust. And in the garden, you don't see any of that. You see this beautiful display of shalom. You see perfect peace. And as we know, this world today is not the same world that was created. This thing called sin has in all of our lives personally and all throughout history and this world globally, globally, it has shattered shalom. 
It has completely broken the peace that God gave us. And as a result, that's why the world is today longing for peace, because sin has caused our peace to live in pieces, to be broken. And I, I thought this was so extraordinary that I just had to share it with you. I want to say that I completed this message, at least this portion of it, earlier in the week this week. This past Thursday, just as I think sometimes I, you know, those little things that happen in your life that like you take personal from you and God, you're like, it was like a wink, like a heaven wink. You're like, I saw that, Lord, you know. I had one of those this week when my daughter, Evie, um, broke one of the ornaments from our Christmas tree. Look at the ornament she broke. The ornament of peace. Okay, Lord. Okay, you want me? Okay, I'll teach this. Okay, Lord. Yes, you got it. Yeah. Out of all the ones she could have broke, I mean, she could have broke the hope one last week. She broke the peace one this week. And as ironic as it is, and obviously there's supposed, it's not peace if there's there's a a peace missing there from the E. And the nativity, it's beautiful. Christmassy and everything. Uh, But what a great display, an honest display of our state apart from Jesus. This is really where we're at. The lack of peace, our peace in pieces relationally. Maybe today that symbolizes some of your relationships. Maybe today that symbolizes your mental state. You feel shattered, you feel disarrayed, you feel disoriented. Maybe today that image represents your emotions. Maybe this represents your relationship with God. You're, you're not sure. There's no wholeness. There's no harmony. There's no completeness. Now, again, this is why Christmas is awesome. This is why Jesus is worth being celebrated. You see, though all things went wrong, and though this is the symbol of our sin, we know that we serve a God that despite what man has messed up, he has always promised to make things right, even from the very beginning. And so you go throughout Israel's history of Israel just searching for peace in the world, searching through peace mostly. Back then they did this weird thing where they searched to political leaders to give them their peace. (laughs) Imagine that. And back then what would happen is time after time they would raise someone up to be their deliverer, their Moses, again and again, and they would find out that even the best of man is still man at best. And they're not able to deliver on the peace that we're ultimately looking for. So there were these constant promises that God would give. Yes, sin has broken everything. And man is not making it any better. And no matter of attempt or, or, or effort on man to fix things is going to work, but God makes a promise. And we looked at it last week. God promises that a child is going to be born, and he's going to be to us our prince of what? Peace is coming. Peace is coming. Now, I love the way that it's described in the book of Micah chapter 5. Listen to this. Micah chapter 5. Speaking of the Messiah coming at Christmas and the peace that he would bring. Micah 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, the one we've been looking for, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And I love verse 5. It simply says this, and this one shall be peace. This is the one you've been waiting for. Even today, maybe, your lack of peace is rooted in you looking for someone else other than the one who has come. 
the one that you're waiting for, the one to restore peace, the one to fix what's been broken, the one who himself will be our peace is coming. God says, I promise. I promise your Prince of Peace is is coming. And that is precisely who Jesus is. And that's precisely what he's come to do. And here, even in Romans 5, thousands of years later, Paul, a Jew, looking back on this Prince of Peace who has come, Paul is reflecting on what it means to be a person of peace now because of Jesus. So so we could talk about this in kind of abstract ideas, but let's break this down for a second. As we said, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to behold the peace that has come through Jesus. And, And so what does that really mean? And what I want us to notice is that the peace that has come through Jesus, that it has a particular order to it. You could say that it sort of happens in sequence, And the first sequence of the peace that Jesus brings us is what Paul gives us here in Romans 5. He says, first and foremost, Romans 5, Lynn just read it for us, verse 1, having been justified by faith, notice this, we have peace with God, with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't just say we have peace from God. It doesn't say we have peace, the peace of God. It's this, listen, foundational peace of our peace. It's peace with God. This is the first of the order of what Jesus came to establish. You can write this down. The first kind of peace that Jesus came to give us that we're beholding is a peace that binds us to God. That brings us back to God and binds us to God. This is the peace Jesus came to give. It's a peace that Paul is talking about. And I want to say that, again, this is the fundamental peace of peace. And this is what the prophets were pointing to, that, listen, true peace, number one, is not going to come from you inventing it in and of yourself. It's not going to come from a new practice. It's got to come from the outside. And as that outside peace comes, listen, that peace is going to repair what's truly broken. And it's a relationship between man and God. It's a relationship between creation and creator. That's what was broken in the garden. That's what's wrong with our peace today, is we have become disconnected from God through sin. The reason why he says peace has come through Jesus is because we lost that peace apart from Jesus. It's been broken, kind of like this picture, representation of our relationships with God because of sin. Now, here's why what Paul is saying is important, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so important because, listen closely, because that's not something that we could have done on our own. Let's explain this this way. Uh, We, as those who have experienced broken peace with our creator God because of sin, we do not get to negotiate the terms of our peace with God. Does that make sense? Like, God, this is how we're going to be right. Okay, God? God, listen, I have an idea for our peace. I'm going to present it to you. Send back word if you're into it. Okay, God, here's my peace treaty. Okay, I'm going to go to church this many times a year. All right, Christmas every Sunday. Okay, Easter, you know it. All right. Lord, I'm going to read, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, I'm going to be good, I'm going to love my neighbor. Here's my peace treaty with you, Lord. As though God owes us something, right? Now, the language of Scripture, to help us understand this a little bit more, helps us see something. That in this broken relationship with us and God, there are not two offenders. Like most of our broken peace, right? Like right now, the hardest relationships to mend are where it's not just that one person's done something wrong, but two people have. And they're like unwilling to repent and turn and forgive and reconcile. But but when the Bible describes our broken relationship with God, it's one-sided. It's what we have done. You see, we have sinned against God. We have broken our peace with God. 
we don't get to negotiate the terms of that peace, especially because of this, because the Bible describes that the nature of that is hostility against God. I know that's not like a common idea we like to think about, but the language of Scripture, even here in Romans 10, verse 5, says that uh, before the peace of God, we were enemies of God. In other words, we made war against God. And I know none of us would ever think of ourselves as individuals, so I would never make war against God, because we all know nobody, you don't make war against God. It doesn't work out. He's pretty good at war, all right? He's pretty good at winning. I mean, look all throughout history. You look at, especially in the Old Testament, all the nations that would rise up against God's purposes. And, it, and there's verses that say that God laughs. He's like, ha ha, look at you, look at your battle, all right? I mean, whatever Goliath you send towards him, there's no army strong enough, there's no giant tall enough to overcome God. And you don't want to be on the opposite side of God's justice, on the opposite side of his judgment. But that is where we find ourselves in sin, at war with a holy God who is good because he is just. A God of love, but a God of wrath as well. I know that's difficult. It's not too palatable in this day and age. We like happy Jesus, you know. We like the words of Jesus, you know, him with the adulterous woman, and we love that, and that's good. But you also have Jesus who would talk about the realities of things like hell. You talk about a Jesus who would talk about things like the reality of being under wrath. Like, everyone loves John three sixteen for God so loved the world. But the next verse says that he who does not believe is condemned. I mean, there's judgment, there's justice, because he is good. It's because of his love and his hatred towards sin that he's just, and he punishes sin. And so we don't want to be on that place, but that's where we found ourselves apart from Jesus. That's the nature of sin. I think this is important to understand this. It's hard to comprehend, too, because we only know what it's like to sin against people. We go, you should forgive me, but how could we ever begin to fathom sinning against a holy God, our Creator? And that's the language of Scripture, is there should be this healthy fear. Now, in light of this righteous God that we have made war against through sin, broken our peace, the only hope, so let's understand it this way, we don't get to negotiate the terms of the peace that we've broken. The only hope would be this, ready? It's in the fact that hopefully this God of peace loves his enemies. Wouldn't it be awesome if this God of justice, loves, would love his enemies, would, would also be this God of peace. And that's precisely what the gospel teaches us. That this God is a God of justice and wrath, but this God of justice displayed his love, maintaining his justice by sending his son, Jesus. And when Jesus came, what was the announcement that was given? Luke 2 tells us that it was glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill, toward men. Now, I know I just created kind of like a scary war version of God, and there's a truth of that that we need to sit in to recognize the result of what our sin has cost us. But this is, okay, this is why the gospel's good news, okay? And I feel like we, maybe we don't get to this enough. Like a lot of theology, like parks at like, you're at war with God, repent. Plea for your life, you know? The essence of good news is that it makes you go, oh, okay, that's good. It makes you rejoice. And here's the good news of this gospel. This God of justice is a God of love. And this is how he feels about you. He loves you. He loves you. Maybe, maybe that's foreign to you. Maybe you, you're, you're constantly trying to fight for peace with God. What you need to just understand is that God is not out to get you. He loves you. 
when he sent his son Jesus, the announcement was peace has come to you. We can be thankful because this God has extended his hand our way. And he said, I'm here to bring you back into relationship with me. I'm a God of peace. Though you've made war against me, I love you. I love my enemies. And this is what God does, okay? So God does this. With that love with which he loves his enemies, he takes that love and he makes his enemies his friends. This one's so cool. Those that were opposed against God, his love wins them over and he makes them his closest friends, even his children. So so much so that as as Paul is describing to the church in Colossians, He's writing to them, and he wants them to understand what has happened here through the cross. He wants them to understand what God has done through Jesus. And here is where Paul describes in more detail what he's saying here in Romans 5. Remember, Romans 5 here, we have peace with God through Jesus. What does that look like? Colossians, Paul gives his own commentary of his verse in Romans, okay? And he says this, that it pleased the Father, here's some theology for you, that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of who God is should dwell, and by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. He wants to remind us, by him, not by you, not by me, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, look at this, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Notice the next verse. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Somebody say amen. amen. This is the gospel. That God is a God of peace. And he has extended his hand toward us and he has made peace. I love this. He's made peace through the blood of his cross. The cross of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus. If you're doubting God's love for you, if you're doubting whether or not God is a God of peace, look at Jesus on the cross and see that as God's peace treaty. See that as God reaching out to you saying, I love you. Now, the word peace here that describes what Jesus did for us on the cross is really interesting. For those that have trusted in Jesus and the work that he accomplished, the word peace there, it's that same word, arene, but the tense, it speaks of this idea of binding something together. Really cool. That we who are disconnected from God, we've been brought back into relationship to God, but come on, we've all had those friendships that like the, the conflict was resolved and you guys are like friends again. You're following each other and everything again. You're starting to even like each other's photos again. And it's like, it's back together. But it's almost like this. You, you ever have these relationships where it's just like, just a matter of time until it happens again, right? You have those? You're just kind of waiting for the next conflict to arise. So here's what you're doing. In that relationship, you're constantly fighting for peace. Got to keep the peace, man. Just got to keep the peace. Why'd you say that? You're supposed to keep the peace. You should have brought that up. You know, it's kind of like that. Fighting to keep the peace. And I want us to understand that's not what has happened through Jesus with us and God. You see, the work that Jesus has done through the cross, listen, it's the point. We said this, that it's a peace that binds us to God. Should we say it this way? Eternally binds us to God. There's nothing that can break what God binds. There's no sin that you could commit that can change God's heart toward you. This treaty of peace is not this. If you behave yourself, I'll still extend peace your way. No, the message says this, that Jesus took it all. Everything you are and everything you'll ever do was put upon him. The peace is now determined not by what you do, but by what Jesus did on the cross. That's where your peace comes from. 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through which we are eternally bound to God. A binding that can never be broken. Now, the reason why this is so important is I think there's this tendency for us to try to bind our own relationship with God. Like I think of um, Judah the other day. He got these sick new, uh, new balances for school. I love them. I'm like, I wish those fit me, you know. <laughs> Come on, Brittany, give me shoes, you know. But, um, and we're heading out the door, running out the door usually. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but um, we're late for school, running out the door, and he's, he's got one of the shoelaces was already tied because that's how the shoe already was, so he just put it on like that. The other shoelace was a sweet attempt of tying your shoe. You know, like a six-year-old, like, let me try to do it on my own. But it looked like, it looked like a bunch of bunnies' ears just, like, fighting each other. Like, it was just a mess. And so I thought of this. Man, this is a lot like what I try to do with God sometimes. I try to give my best knot to my relationship with him. I try to give my best attempt. But, but you know what I did? I said, Judah, you step aside. Let me bind your shoelaces. Let me tie it for you. That's the gospel. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Did you know this, too? I was looking this up, and did you know the word religion itself can literally mean to bind? Religion. Religious efforts, trying to earn my way to God. It's literally, listen, religion is man's attempt to bind his relationship with God. The gospel is God's successful attempt to bind himself to us through Jesus. Can we rejoice in that? Can we thank God for that this morning? That he's a God of peace? That he has sent his son Jesus to make peace for us, that we could have peace with God. Now this is, again, as we said, it's the foundational peace. To get Christmassy, Isaiah 53 says it this way, that the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Now this is what's been accomplished through Jesus, but it's important that we see how this progresses. As we behold the peace that God gives us, it's a peace that's uh, binding us to God, but that peace that has come to us from the outside, God intends this for your life and my life. God intends that the peace that he's brought to you would work its way in you. That the peace that he's brought to you would work its way in you. Write this down. The peace we have in Jesus, it also is a peace that fills up our hearts. It should fill up our hearts. We could sit here all day long and talk about the theological uh, breakdowns of how God has, has reconciled us to him through his cross. And we could still walk away without peace in our hearts. We could still walk away anxious. We can still walk away unsure. Here's the true test of how much the peace of God has come to you. Is it in you? Does it fill you? Uh, That's a vision we get all throughout the scriptures. I I love Colossians 3, which talks about peace in our hearts, filling up our hearts. And it's this great command that we should have, uh, let the peace of God, I love this, rule in our hearts. Rule in our hearts. Have, Have the throne, have supremacy. In other words, don't look to anything else to have the throne of your heart, to have the throne of your peace. Let Jesus be your peace in your heart, having Jesus in your heart. Now, um, the, the primary place that we see this is with Jesus speaking his, to his disciples on the verge of his departure. After, um, after spending, of course, those three years with them, and just prior to Passion Week and going to the cross, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. Uh, and it's not just that he's come to bring peace to them, but he tells them in John 14, verse 27, he says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And this is important. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. So Jesus promises, number one, a peace for us that comes from him, and the peace that he's going to give us is distinct, this peace in us, it's distinct from any kind of worldly peace. 
And I think it's important to, to point out the fact that Jesus doesn't disregard the fact that there are worldly options for peace. There's worldly, earthly routes to gratify, to, to temporarily satisfy, to give you some sort of peace of mind, to distract you. I think that's one of the ways that the world gives peace is if this thing's troubling you, are you anxious? Well, go on your phone. This relationship's bothering you? Well, well here, you can find some peace if you talk about it and vent how you feel about it. Or, or whatever it is, what, whatever your worldly peace of choice is. He doesn't deny the fact that there's a peace that this world has to offer. But what he does say is the peace I have to give is unlike any peace this world does have. I have, my, I have a peace for you, and it's a peace unlike this world gives you. And he goes on to expound on it a little bit more, and I love this in John 16. Here's what he says about this peace. He said, I told you these things that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world, I love this, in me you'll have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Interesting. In this world, um, this is what's been called uh, the two zip codes of the Christian. Our dual citizenship. In Christ, in this world. Two zip codes. We're in Jesus, where there's peace, but you're also in this world. In this world, you have tribulation, but how awesome is it in Jesus to not have to leave the tribulation to be in peace? You're in tribulation, but in me, you can have a peace in you, in your tribulation. It's amazing. What a promise. In me, you can have peace, though you're walking through what you're walking through in this world. Now, I'm sure as the disciples are hearing Jesus describe having a certain peace that is, is transcendent over the troubles we're experiencing, a peace that actually Galatians 5 says is the fruit of his spirit in our lives. I'm sure the disciples are thinking back to a time that they went through trouble with Jesus, and Jesus modeled this perfectly. It's the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 where Jesus sends his disciples over the Sea of Galilee, in a boat, straight into some tribulation, okay? Some trials and tribulations. That's where he sends them right into. Right into a storm. Right into a, a, a death-daunting um, death storm. The, the, the winds were howling. The waves were rocking. The boat was filling. The disciples are freaking, okay? And they look over at Jesus, and in the midst of this storm, he is taking a siesta. Siesta Jesus. Perfectly at peace, just like steady as can be. Steady, calm, collected, immovable. And they freak out, Jesus, why are you asleep? I, I, this is interesting, right? They mistakenly perceive his peace for his apathy. You ever done that? Like, God, why aren't you freaking out like I am? Do you not care? Maybe God is just under control. And Jesus, he gets up. The Bible says he rebukes the wind and the waves with one word. He says this, peace, right? Rather, it's three words. He says, peace, be still. But it's that central idea of be at, be at peace. Shalom, be calm. And the seas are calmed at the word of Jesus. And after this confrontation, this is the most important part. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, why were you afraid? That's the most important part of the story. Why were you afraid? I was with you in the storm. Why were you freaking out? Did you see my peace? Did you see me freaking out? I was there with you. And the Bible says after this fact, this is really interesting, they went on fearing Jesus. Who is he that the wind and the waves obey him? And something happened in that exchange with the disciples with Jesus. 
they learned to look to him for their peace. Not just what he could do with his power over the storm, but they went to see, listen, the person and the thing to fear here is not the trial, it's Jesus. And he's with me. That gives me my peace. Why was I afraid when I had the Son of God with me? You see, it's the presence of Jesus that brings us peace. The presence of Jesus. To know that he's with me. In this world you will have tribulation, but in me as I am with you, you can have peace. Knowing that I am present with you. And I know that's even just an idea in and of itself. But this is something that I think we need to do more than just recognize. This is something, by the way, that has to be practiced. We could sit here right now and go, Jesus is with me in my storm, and I have peace because of his presence. But do you really believe that? How are you cultivating his peace in your life? Are you spending time with him? Are you being still with him? Here's a question. How are you directing your thoughts towards him? We see this as not just a theme of psychology when it comes to anxiety, but this is a theme of scripture. Scripture will constantly tell us, listen, that what's at the root of most of our anxiety is what we're thinking. It's our thought life. It's us going, oh my gosh, the storm, here it is, and there it is, and it's not setting my mind on things above. You see, I think one of the most helpful things that we could do for our own peace is to, is to practice this simple thing. Ready? You can write this down. We need to start think about, thinking about what we're thinking about. See, what the Bible gives us is that we, this idea that we are not victims of the ideas that come into our heads. Victims of the thoughts and the worries and the anxiety. If that were the case, it would be really unjust for Jesus to tell us not to worry. And for the Bible to say not to be anxious about everything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If we were just victims of whatever came into our minds... We would be hopeless. But, but here's what the gospel calls us to. It calls us to a higher living, a higher standard, a higher power that's found in the spirit. Martin Luther said it this way, so much so that, that um, I can't, he said it this way, I can't prevent a bird from flying over my head, but I can prevent it from making a nest in my hair. Isn't that interesting? I can't prevent what sort of mail gets thrown into this inbox. You've got mail. I don't want that mail. But I can control what I delete and what I save, what I open, what I entertain, what I follow. So, so that verse Philippians 4 about not being anxious, Paul will go on to say in verse 8, and he'll say this, meditate on what's true, on what's pure, what's noble. How's your thought life? What are you thinking about? Are you succumbing to every thought that comes into your head, or are you taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? What am I thinking about? Uh, and I talked earlier about this scripture uh, in Colossians 3 that says to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. What's really interesting is just before this verse, Paul says to let the word of God dwell in our hearts richly. So, so this is huge. When we're letting the word of God, the truth of God dwell in our hearts richly, the peace of God wells up in our hearts. It's, a, it's amazing. There's, there's a great promise about this in Isaiah. Isaiah says it this way, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace. Peace coming from setting my mind on Jesus who is present with 
me, a peace that fills us in our hearts. And then lastly, we see that it's got to move beyond just coming to us and coming in us. Um, we see this as a constant theme throughout Scripture, that the works that God does for us in, and in us are meant to flow through us. Too, too often, local churches and Christians are stopgaps of the work of God. We're like lakes and reservoirs, and we just love God's blessings, and we love God's word, and we love God's truth. But the vision of the church in Scripture is not this lake, but it's this river. God does a work. He, he speaks into our lives. He fills our lives. He gives peace to our lives. And it comes to us and it even fills us so that it would come out of us. That's what Jesus said the work of the Spirit's going to be. It's going to be living water that flows in and through your lives. So write this down lastly. The peace that God gives is a peace that must flow from our lives. It's a peace that binds us to God through Jesus. It comes to us. It's a peace that fills up our hearts. It's got to work its way in us. But as it fills us, as his love is poured in our hearts, it flows through us from our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The fruit of God's work in my life. Um, Now, this is an interesting idea, right? That the peace of Jesus coming out and through me. And and Jesus gave some really honest um, expectations for us to have in life. I think one of the most interesting is found in Luke 12, where Jesus confuses us. he says, now everything I just said now is going to get, it seems like I could get thrown out the door from this verse. Look at this. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? Like right now, hopefully we'd go, yeah? <laughs> what was the point of the sermon if you didn't? I tell you, and he doesn't like sure, he's like, not at all. Okay. I will follow you still, but rather division. What is going on? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. What, you think I came to give peace? Now, the key is context, isn't it? Yeah, okay, good. Good, that's the dangerous thing today with like verses popping in our heads and quoting them to people. It's like, well, what did Paul mean there, okay? What did Jesus mean there? Uh, Jesus in this text talks about, listen, how the peace that he gives us will not always produce peace around us. He even goes on to describe the nature and the depths and the discouragement of that division because the peace that he gives us, it could even cause division within your own home between mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, which is like probably the hardest kind of division to deal with is when it's familial but he's just speaking to the nature of his peace. He says, remember, it's a peace that I give you. It's not like the peace in this world, so it's going to come into conflict. So don't always see that opposition as my disapproval of your life. Maybe it's evidence to what I'm doing in your life. Maybe that, maybe that division is not, because, it's not something you're causing. Maybe my peace is causing it because somebody's recognizing that you have what they need. It's going to cause division. Now, this is a promise Jesus gives us about his peace. But can I tell you what this therefore shouldn't mean? This doesn't mean that we try to find division through his peace now, you know? Like this is, you know, the world hates Jesus and he's probably going to hate us. Where are they? Where's the world? You haters, you know? His peace brings division. Who can I divide with today? Who can I offend with the gospel today, you know? Who could I offend with what the Bible has to say about sin? That is not the posture of a Christian. This, and you go, why are you saying this? That's popular. Snowflake, okay? Man, 
We scream it. We, we have this... An- the heart of a Christian, despite the division that could come towards this world, is to display the same peace that God has offered us. He has reached out in love toward us. And so that's, the, that's what should flow from our lives. Not contention, but peace. Peace coming from your life is a fruit of his spirit. I, I think Paul says it so well in 1 Timothy. Look at what he says. This is just a good life right here. He says, therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. That we, notice this, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That we as the church in culture, we wouldn't be looking for every opportunity to be contentious. That we as Christians in our households, we wouldn't be looking for every opportunity to divide. But we as those who have become recipients of peace, imagine if the Spirit would make us into that same peace we've received. So that we live peaceable lives. Peaceable lives. This can only come from a heart that's received the peace of God. Maybe you, you know what this is like, right? You, you know the times in your life when you don't have peace, that you are the least peaceable person, aren't you? And everything's got you irritated and mad. Check your peace. Where's your peace coming from? What's the source of it? When are you getting alone with Jesus, asking him to remind you of him as your prince of peace? It should produce peace in our lives. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You look like your dad. You're sons of God, aren't you? People of peace. People of peace. And this is God's vision for how the kingdom of God spreads in a place like Boca Raton. How God's kingdom spreads in a place like South Florida. A bunch of Christians that not only have a message of a God who's a God of love and peace, but they are so convincing because they live like they've been impacted by it. And there's a peace about them. And there's a love about them. And and the way that they come into work, everybody's freaking out because of the deadlines. But there's like this peaceability they possess. People go, where do you, how do you, where can I get that? And you can tell them from the same person that gave it to me, Jesus, the prince of peace. He brings a peace to us. That peace works its way in us by his spirit, despite what we're going through. And it flows from us to those around us so that we, like Jesus, are those that seek to pursue peace with all people. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.